morning, everybody. And it feels weird to say good morning at this campus because we've been doing evening services for so long. Uh, so long have we waited for this. Uh, my name is Clay. For those who don't recognize me, it's because I'm wearing jeans today. Normally I'm wearing shorts or sweats. I decided to be reverent before the Lord today. Oh, gosh. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, jeans, jeans are the new Sunday best. All right, anyway. Um, so, welcome to today. Uh, like I said, my name's Clay. I do a lot of behind-the-scenes things here, uh, so I'm actually very humbled and honored to be up here giving a message, especially, like, at our first morning service giving a message. That feels weird. I've got the coffee jitters. Normally, th those wear off by 5 p.m., but here we are. And uh, I usually run, like, the tech stuff. I help with production, and we are in desperate need of some volunteers, so if you want to do that, please talk to me. And I also help out with our youth group at our Uinta campus. I've been doing that for a little over five years now. Um, so I've been plugged in behind the scenes, which is why you don't see much of me. But uh, about every eight weeks or so, Crystal has the divine idea to send me up here uh, to embarrass myself. All right. <laughs> so, we are in the middle of our series called Stand Your Ground, um, and Kurt, thank you for the word today. Thank you for bringing that. Um, gosh, I'm just so encouraged by what we've been talking about because of just the context of this series, and that is that this series is all about how Satan is waging war against us. Okay, uh, It feels like a very timely series because a lot of people get weird in the month of October. Anyone notice getting weird in the month of October? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I can get a little wary during this month for sure. Um, and part of that's because of how I was just raised. So when I was a kid, it was kind of like, oh, we start school, we do the creepy month, then we do the thankful month, and then we do the gift wrap month, and that's the end of our year. Uh, <laughs> so um, I want to share a little bit of my experience that I had as a kid uh, with Creepy Month, we'll, we'll call it. Uh, and my first memory, actually, as a human being, and we're going to go deep real fast, so just get ready. Uh, my first memory as a human being was watching a scene in a horror movie. So I don't know if that explains everything about me or what. Uh, <laughs> but um, I was going to play that scene for you all today. It turns out I can't play that here. Um, someone got mad. Anyway, no, I'm kidding. Um, but since that moment... Because I was so young, and what I was seeing was horrifying, I was ruled by fear, right? There's, there's still, like, a little bit of that in my bones right now as I'm speaking. Like, I'm, I'm still sh uh, a little bit shaken from some of those things where I'm like, oh, man. Like, I'm a little bit afraid to, to get up here and, and share this. So... I was also captivated by horror movies and characters. There's, there's this thing, and, and I think a lot of us are coming to this awareness, especially just in culture we're coming to this awareness. There's something captivating about horror. There's something captivating about darkness, even if it's bad, like, like the bad captivation where you just can't stop thinking about it, okay? And I'd always see some sort of concept for a character or a movie trailer or a poster or someone was wearing a t-shirt that I didn't like. Uh, and that character or that concept would not leave my brain. It just felt like this obsessive um, cycle that, that my brain was going through. So then it was like, well, I've got to figure out how they beat the horror. So I need to find how to watch these movies. 
So I started watching every horror movie that I could because my goal was to beat the horror and overcome the fear. Because that's how most movies work, right? Not horror movies, but regular like superhero movies, the good guys win. The thing about horror movies, though, is they're tied to an industry that wants to make sequels. So, the horror never dies at the end. You're watching a horror movie only to think that the thing's defeated, and then just before the credits roll, that thing comes back, right? So I was constantly living in that state of fear, and then flash forward to me being 11, 12, 13, every creepy month, I couldn't sleep, right? Because everything in October was all about people getting creepy, people getting all these horror movies. It, that's what it was for me too. It was like, hey, let me just keep watching these and maybe I'll desensitize myself enough to where I'm just okay and, I, and I'm not afraid. It didn't work. I was constantly afraid. I couldn't sleep in my own room. I couldn't sleep in the dark. Um, my room was in the basement, so that was even terrifying. And every day just felt like a battle for rest. So, um, yeah. Now, here's the thing about October, if you haven't uh, learned this. The reason people get really weird in October, uh, and please forgive me for swearing in church, the day is called Halloween. Um, that's the, the day everyone gets weird about. So October rolls around, and my dad loves to decorate for Halloween. Again, forgive me for swearing. Um, <laughs> okay, so, and one year he bought this uh, two-foot-tall butler that looked like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. And this animatronic man stood at the top of the stairs so you would see him when you walked in the front door. And he'd be holding a bowl of candy. My dad loved this stuff. <laughs> okay. So uh, my bedroom was in the basement, as I said, and we had no bathroom down there. So if it was the middle of the night and I needed to go pee, I'd have to walk out of my room that I was already terrified to sleep in, go up the stairs, and have a staring competition. No, no one else laughed. Okay. Uh, I have a staring competition with my two-foot-tall butler, and, um, and I'd have to make a choice. Do I have to pee so bad that I can risk walking past this thing? Because I've seen the movies. This thing's going to kill me if I walk past it. Um, or should I just be tough and go back to my room and not go to the bathroom? Most nights, I chose to lose that battle and go back to my room. Here's what I subconsciously understood, and I, I said this a minute ago. Darkness and horror is real. What I could never understand was how to beat that darkness and overcome the horror. So if you've been joining us for the last two weeks of this series, I hope that you've come to the understanding that darkness can have power over people. Previously, we talked about how we need to become aware of the schemes of Satan. That was our first week. The second week we talked about, this was last week, that this battle, Kurt, just like you said, this battle is not of flesh and blood. It's so much more than that. It's, it's so much more spiritual than that. So where I'd like for us to start today uh, in this conversation, because I want this to be a conversation. I don't want it to just be me yelling at you. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to start in the book of James, okay? So James was the brother of Jesus, and uh, I don't know if you guys like have heard this before, but uh, raise your hand if you have a sibling. Okay, awesome. Now let's say your sibling comes up to you when they're about 12, and they're like, hey, I'm the son of God, the Messiah. You're going to be like, I don't believe you right? That was James. He was that brother who's like, you're weird. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so then he sees the resurrected Jesus, and he converts to the way. He converts to Christianity, 
And then he writes this book. And this entire thing is all about faith and, and works and just sort of the things that he's seeing and how those things are symbiotic, how they work together. And so here's what he says in chapter 2, verse 19, if we can put that up. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. What James is pointing out here is profound. He starts by reminding us of our common ground as believers in that we believe in the one true God. Amen. Then he pokes with sarcasm saying, good for you, or cool. After this, he tells us a deep truth that's so easy to forget. The demons tremble in terror when they are face to face with God. Ultimately, the demons and Satan himself have to submit to God. They understand the fear of God. Do we understand the fear of God? At the end of the day, do we submit to God? James seems to indicate that he sees Christians that are less submitted than demons. As Christians, he's saying we should be greater than them. In Scripture, Jesus casts out many demons, and the demons had to listen to him because he's God. He then gives the same authority to his church, that's us. So James is obviously going to be furious about a church that's cowering and not putting their faith into action. The demons are shaking in fear because they know ultimately who the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is. Do we recognize the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Do we recognize and stand in awe of his holiness? Now in this series, we're talking about warfare. And this warfare has stakes. This warfare has sacrifice. This warfare is has death all around us. This war is fought with soldiers, and as believers, we are called to fight. But we can't fight without the right equipment. This is what Kurt was talking about earlier. It's crucial that we armor up. Right, Kurt? Our main verse in this month is in the letter of Ephesians. Let's read it again, because we just can't get enough of this verse. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. It will protect you. Take the, el- uh, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, just like it says there, in addition to all of this, right? So all of this needs to go together. A peace cannot be missing. Otherwise, we are weak and capable of being attacked and losing that battle. So we need to make sure that our armor is fitted, that it's clean, and that it's ready to go. Now, we don't have a whole lot of time to dive into every single piece of that armor, but I want to focus on one that's, in my opinion, just really cool. (laughs) And that's the sword of the spirit, okay? I want you to imagine battle with armor, swords, all the cool stuff you see in Lord of the Rings and Narnia, okay? The significance of a sword in battle, if you were to, like, look up, you know, like, what does a sword symbolize in battle? It'd be a little bit different today because we're using guns and bombs and, and tanks and things like that, right? But here's what a sword is, and if we can put up that definition, and it's got a lot of weird words in here, so I'll, I'll go slow, but I'm going to say it again in a different way here in just a second. The sword is an important 
and multifaceted, that means like multiple meanings, symbol of military power, royal and communal authority, religion, and mysticism. This symbol takes the sword beyond its functional role as a tool for killing, so it's not just used for killing, considering it as a cultural artifact, and the broader meaning and significance it had to its bearer. Now, let's, let's think about this with the Bible as our sword, which is the word of God. Our sword is the word of God. The Bible is a multifaceted symbol of God's power, his royalty and authority, his law and his provision. This tool is not just used for destroying the enemy. It's a cultural artifact that carries meaning and significance to its carrier. Amen? In battle, we can't just have great skill with the armor and weapons that we have. We also need to know what we fight for, who we fight for, who we are submitted to. The sword that we show is a symbol of who we're submitted to. It tells our enemy whose side we're on. So today we have a great need to understand submission to God and how to wield the sword he has given us. So let's learn together how to win the battle that is temptation. And let's start with what our king and our God went through in Matthew chapter 4. If we can pull up that first verse. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Now Jesus was sent by the Spirit to a battlefield where he would be attacked by the devil. That was the purpose of him being here. Let's go to the next verse. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time the devil came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, Tell these stones to become loaves of bread. This temptation is going to prove something to us. If Jesus is wearing the armor of God, he should be able to withstand this attack from the enemy. If he's wielding his sword, he should be able to strike the enemy. Since he's fasting, he should reveal his strong connection to who he's submitted to, which is his father. Let's go to the next verse. But Jesus using the sword of the Spirit, told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is like watching your favorite event and your team just scored. Like that's what just happened here. He says, no. Can we give Jesus some praise? Yes. Next verse. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order His angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't uh, even hurt your foot on a stone. So the battle wages on. Satan knows scripture too. He knows your sword. He recognizes it. He wants to tempt us by perverting the truth and making us believe that sin is a good idea. This is just like what he did in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. He took God's warning to them and perverted it. Next, in verse 7, Jesus responded, The scriptures also say, so he comes back. The scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down 
and worship me. See, Satan's strategy here has not changed. In the garden, he tempts Adam and Eve with the image of God, something they already had. He tempts Jesus with provision, control, and power, all things he already has. Satan tempts us in the same way. We are full of joy, and like a thief, he whispers, do you really have joy? We are loved by our friends and our family, and then he plagues our mind with the thought, are you really loved? We are encouraged by our restored relationship to our creator, and he destroys us by convincing us of the thought, am I actually restored to God? And what does Jesus say to that in the next verse? Get out of here, Satan. Amen. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away, and angels came and took care of Jesus. This is how we fight. Satan leaves upon Jesus proclaiming the most important truth of all. We submit to the Lord God and serve only him. When we use truth that can only come from God, Satan is no more than a worm that is commanded to slither away in awe of our faith in Christ. We heap the fear of God on Satan and his demons. This is how we fight, brothers and sisters. I didn't grow up knowing how to fight. I grew up in a secular home with no influence of God in my life, with no word of truth in my life. When I was a boy who was terrified of every decoration in my house, I wished that I knew that I could learn truth and have faith in my father who put the decorations there. Faith that he would not put something in the house to hurt me or scare me. Now, instead of having faith in my earthly father, I chose fear. Not once did I ask him about it. Not once did I express to him my fears and my doubts. But if I did, he might have just told me the truth. He would have comforted me and let me know that this will not take things from me, that this will not kill me, that this will not destroy my life. But since I never asked my earthly father to replace my fears with truth, I never grew out of that stage. Sleeping in silence and in the dark was not something I could do until I was 19 years old. I'm 25 now. I've only been sleeping in the dark for six years. If I had gone to my earthly dad and said something, gosh, he probably would have taken the decorations away and maybe helped me understand some things. When I was 19, I encountered my heavenly father. When I go to my father in heaven, he doesn't only do what any father would. He also teaches me how to live differently and apart from fear and trembling. Now, I no longer have to fear going to bed at night, for he is with me. So, what is Satan stealing from you? What is Satan using to kill you? What is Satan destroying you with? And how long will you hold on to your fear? God is saying that the time for fear is over. It's time to step into faith and truth. Do not let the devil's temptation go without response. Pick up your sword and start speaking the truth to Satan, and he will flee. 
The book of James says this in chapter 4, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The way we show our submission to God in battle is by standing our ground and brandishing the sword that he has given us. This sword shows our submission. Us fighting with it will resist the devil. Our faith will make Satan respond with fear and trembling. This is how we fight our battles. Now, how do we recognize this? How do we put this into practice? How do we figure out what that fear is we're holding on to so that we can submit it to the word of God? Let me share a story. I was at summer camp this past July with our youth group, and one of the sermons tackled lies that we believe. After the message, a good friend of mine came up to me and basically grabbed me and just said, Clay, what's the lie? Because he knew that I was in there believing a lie, and he knew that I could not leave there believing a lie. He said, Clay, what's the lie? What's the lie you've been believing? As I said, I've been in youth ministry for over five years. And the lie I believed that <laughs> was that I wasn't a good leader to the youth kids. The reason I believed that was because I've been in youth ministry long enough to see kids graduate and go on to denounce the faith they said they had when they were in our youth group. I held on to the fear that those I disciple will go on to reject God. At that moment, we prayed. And he spoke the word over me. Once I exposed the lie, I made myself available to the truth that my role was to gather as many and disciple as many people as I can. What happens from there is not something I should fear because Jesus will sort them out. So what is your lie that needs to be replaced with absolute truth? Are you thinking that because of your performance in school or work that you will never go on to have success? What you need to know from the word is that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that Jesus has said to you. Do you believe that the love in your marriage or your relationship is dying? Well, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. So you don't have to leave to start fresh with one another just as he doesn't have to leave you to start fresh with you. Is your addiction just not a big deal because it isn't hurting anyone? Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you were bought at a price. Use your lifestyle to honor God. Those lies I just listed have answers that come from Scripture. I'm not here to preach life-changing words of my own. I'm here to preach from a life-changing book that you have access to. Any lie that you have can be replaced with truth, but only if you expose the lie and submit it to the Word of God. What I want to do now is I want to sit in some silence, which makes a lot of people uncomfortable, but I've learned to see it as something so beautiful and so revealing and profound and amazing. So before we dive into how to apply this, we need to actually expose the lie. So in the same way my friend came up to me, he shook me and said, what is the lie? I want us to all close our eyes, sit in silence for a minute, maybe two, maybe an hour, I don't know. However long it takes, we're going to sit in silence, and I want you to have Jesus expose that lie to you. Maybe Satan will whisper it to you.
what Satan loves to do and what we see through Scripture is that he will lie to us, then he will tempt us, and then after he has tempted us and we've given in, he accuses us. He heaps shame onto us. So maybe the lie, I think this is for someone, maybe the lie for you is that all the shame that he's heaped onto you, you've taken it on, and you've agreed with him. You need to break that accord with Satan. You need to break that agreement with him and realize that that is not your shame to carry. Jesus died for that shame. He had all shame poured on himself so that you would not have to do that. So what do we do? How do we fight our battles? Well, what we do is we open God's word. And this is what I think all of us should be doing on a continual basis. I want you guys in your free time to open God's word and find a Bible verse that you can hold on to, to wield as a weapon against the lies, the schemes, and the temptations, and the accusations of the enemy. And you may need a specific verse for each battle you're facing, because we can have a lot of problems, yeah? <laughs> it's never just one. I'm sure as you were sitting there thinking of exposing lies, some of you had 12, 40, 80, a hundred lies you're believing. And I know that because I've felt that. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to pray us out. And, and if I could have the worship team come up, we're going to have prayer available on either side of the stage. And, and what I want you to do is I want you to not just have that lie exposed for yourself. I want you to shed more light on that. You might need prayer. You might need deliverance from something, from a lie that you're believing. That is what this time is for. So I'll pray, I'll exit, and then it's up to you guys what you do uh, as you feel prompted uh, to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word that is true. Thank you that it is a symbol of your power, your righteousness, your glory, your authority. Lord, we are just honored and blessed as humans, to be able to have access to your word and your authority. Lord, thank you for giving us the authority to fight our battles. Thank you, Lord, that it's you who goes before us and conquered and won. And now you're asking us that since you conquered, we can kill our flesh. We can kill our sin. Lord, I pray that lies are exposed and replaced with truth today. I pray that it is truth that people can hold on to, that it is steadfast love that never ceases. Lord, that we are reminded of your mercies that are new every morning. Lord, we love you. We love your word. We're submitted to you. We're submitted to your word. Show us how to submit to you further, Lord. Bring us more truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.